Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Forrest Stevens Show. Today, I'm going to be kind of doing a summary and my thoughts and review of the Michael Saylor series, as it's known, which is a nine-part podcast that Robert Bree Love did with Michael Saylor, who is well-known for MicroStrategy, which is a company that he owns, and for um, taking basically the the cash balance, um, the reserve balance of MicroStrategy and investing it in Bitcoin and holding it as his, what he calls a treasury reserve asset. And this is basically more than nine hours because some episodes are two hours long. A lot of it is, is Robert Breedlove kind of recapping the episode, but uh, I'd say about 50-50 of that um, is the interview with Michael Saylor. So more than nine hours, not exactly sure how long, but it's been a fascinating series that I just kind of listened to the entire thing throughout. And um, it's on the, the podcast name is What is Money? So that's basically the question that they're trying to answer. And as much as sort of both of these people are Bitcoin maximalists, so they talk about how important Bitcoin is in the world and how they use it as their main investment um, uh, vehicle. It's not really, it doesn't really get that much into Bitcoin, actually. There's there's parts of it throughout where they talk about how this thing that they've been talking about relates to Bitcoin specifically, and not cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin. But you can tell that Michael Saylor is a student of history <laughs> and he's an intelligent person, um, somebody who uh, has, for me, created some new concepts and new, um, new maps of ideas. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, my memories and my my beliefs end up becoming pictures in my mind. So he, he's sort of showing me a photograph and I'm creating imagery from that um, and uh, in my own way. And that's one thing that's beautiful about um, reading something and about listening to something as opposed to watching something is that it imprints and creates a memory and, and uses a little bit more of your brain to create that as opposed to just capturing that image and having such a clear visual thing that you remember that visual part of it. Um, so with that being an audio thing, yeah, it's just, like I said, to recap that, it's, it's just basically created some new mental imagery for my brain around different ideas. So the ideas that they get into um, are about history of humanity. And um, at one point, Michael Saylor basically defines money as a store of energy. And in the past, I've thought of money as a means of exchange um, and a means of value. Uh, and so the, the idea that money is valuable it doesn't directly but it sort of indirectly points to the fact that it is stored energy because it's stored value and if you define what value is well value means that you can do something with this money you can pay somebody to do something you could which 
when you pay somebody to do something, that action is being taken out in this physical world and that energy is being expensed by that person. Um, you could pay, I mean, a very literal way to look at this as well is you could pay to ship something and you are sending that, that product, that whatever it is, you are sending it can with kinetic energy, you know, it's a energy that's movement and there's kinetic energy of the people picking it up and placing it somewhere. And there's, there's all this energy being expensed and you, you spent $10, $20, whatever it is to ship that thing. And all of this energy exchange is a result of your action. And you are basically releasing that stored energy to make that happen. Now it's about possession, right? Um, that's the very interesting thing in my eyes about money and and this relates into Bitcoin. There's going to be a lot that I miss with this because this is me trying to summarize nine hours into however long this ends up being. But and it's also just what I remember. So it's what but when you remember something, that means that it had impact on you. So I'm basically going to start going through different things that I remember and trying to summarize them and trying to formulate my own thoughts on them as well. So one thing that they said was throughout history, there's been sort of monumental um, creations by humans and, um, you know, missiles are one of them. You know, the, the idea that the creation of missiles uh, in the form of projectiles of any kind by humans so that that goes all the way back to arrows and beyond arrows that means rocks being able to be slung you know they talk about the sling and the the power of a, a human being in a historical sense of battles being fought and how powerful that person is with that sling because they, they have so much ability to create kinetic energy and narrow it down into this point of a stone and that stone has a sort of a density to it, which is another type of energy, right? And, um, you know, it's like got this stored energy of, of weight and minerals and materials. And, um, you know, and then we go even to the arrow where there is a, a fine point, right? All that energy that is, that is uh, put into it by the drawing back and the, the sling of the arrow of the uh, the bowstring all of that focuses down onto a point if done correctly so that is a very interesting uh idea that i've never thought about uh doesn't relate to bitcoin at all but it relates in parallel because another creation that um humans have done is the creation of money of um creating something of value um from energy so that's why if you look at money and you think about okay money was pegged to gold at one point and what is gold but a commodity and basically sailor uh said and I, I haven't like backed this up i haven't looked into this too much but basically he said back in the day um when there was excess ability in a in a civilization that that energy would start to going to uh, into mining gold, and I and um, maybe this still happens to a degree, but it gold became this commodity, and it became. I mean, that's the, the interesting thing to me about gold is it doesn't actually have that many use cases. Like if you look at it, it's not an industrial metal 
per se. So none of this is actually covered in the pod, but um, about where you know where gold is stored. This is this is other information that I've acquired, but a lot of it is being held by central banks, and a lot of it is used for jewelry, and some of it is used in an industrial way of electronics, and there is a large part of recycling that happens as well um, from the jewelry for you know cash for gold kind of uh, thing cash for scrap gold and a lot of it is being recycled by um, in the in the e-waste industry as well but what is interesting about gold is it has certain properties and they didn't really talk about this either but it is uh, you know doesn't corrode it's very stable it's very dense and it is um, heavy and it has some value like the like the intrinsic value or the ability to create jewelry you know that has value um, even if it is just uh, aesthetic value and the other thing that makes it valuable is its relative difficulty of of creating more of it or extracting more of it from the um from the ground and in this podcast they talked about how that is relative and and how that relates to bitcoin in the fact that um, creating a Bitcoin or getting a share of a Bitcoin or, or getting a full Bitcoin happens by work. So they, they talk about the importance of the proof of work and how energy is actually being exchanged. You know, electrical energy, uh, computing energy, uh, hardware that, that turns basically that electrical energy into, um, you know, little signals. And those signals mean something to something else that that software has been written off of it and they they get into that a little bit the um the the encrypting uh, i don't know if it's the language or the sort of the program of it the sha sha 47 or something like that uh the, the real bitcoiners will will tell me what it is right here in the comment section below dollars could be created um, to value something else, right? Like there could be basically an IOU or a note um, that says this represents this of value. So, I mean, paper dollars could be marked to wheat. They could be marked to corn. They could be marked to iron. They could be marked to copper. But gold has unique properties that allow it to sustain. Like, you know, wheat will go rancid. Um, uh, iron will rust you know and so gold has unique properties that allows it to be a good commodity to be to represent value it's basically the price of it is is basically dictated by a collective a, a large collective of people agreeing that it's valued at this much that they will pay this much for it that's what drives every market commodity market is um, supply and demand right now what i what's interesting about gold is that it doesn't really have much actual demand a lot of it is just held as that proof of reserves that treasury reserve asset so sailor decided to basically do that with bitcoin instead of holding gold instead of holding a certain type of stock um, instead of holding real estate uh, instead of holding some other asset, he decided to hold Bitcoin because it is released at a certain percentage every year. It has a market cap of 21 million and there has been that proof of work. There is also the technology of the ledger and how basically it is um, very secure. 
and what was so fascinating about this, this is just this is I'm just remembering this now, but one part of the podcast that was super, super fascinating was when they actually started comparing gold to Bitcoin and how expensive it is to move gold. You know, gold is a physical thing. It is heavy and it is also dangerous to move because other people know that it is super valuable for the density of it. So you have to hire some type of security or have some sort of insecurity or insurance or um, that be a concern. You know, I'm talking about large amounts. I'm not talking about a coin. I'm talking about if you wanted to move $500,000 of gold or a million dollars or 10 million or 20 million dollars worth of gold or a huge amount of money worth of gold. Uh, it's heavy, so it's going to cost a lot just to ship and it is in need of security and insurance, like I said, so that makes it very expensive. Now moving Bitcoin, this is what's very interesting is because there's so many other cryptocurrencies that actually do this part better or not even better, but cheaper there is sort of a disdain to the old Bitcoin that is slow, that has a higher transaction fee. But what Michael Saylor was saying is that they're comparing it to money. And that's the that was such a fundamental shift for me about Bitcoin, um, where I recognized that I had always thought that it was trying to compete with fiat. And it doesn't actually need to compete with fiat. It needs to compete with other assets. And fiat is not an asset. You lose money every single day that you hold dollars because of inflation. And inflation is really bad right now. You're watching in 2023, May, and we know we go to the shelves and we see that things are not as cheap as they used to be. And that means that that dollar we had is becoming weaker and it is designed into the, the fiat system to make that dollar weaker. And that, I mean, these people are pretty extreme, Michael Saylor and Robert Breedlove in their, their ideas and their belief in Bitcoin and their ideas on inflation. And Robert Breedlove mentioned, uh, I think a couple times that he basically views inflation or, you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, basically inflation um, as a as a type of theft because it's taking your buying power away. Just as if there was no inflation and somebody took two percent of, if you held a hundred dollars in your bank account and every year somebody just took, this is what they're aiming for is two percent. The the Federal Reserve and the, the different banks around the world. If somebody just came to your bank of a hundred dollars and took two dollars of it every single year and you had no they had no repercussions you had no ability to do anything to that person no ability to stop them um yeah i mean there is abilities to stop them even in dollars but you have to buy other assets right there's stocks that you could buy you know that's a, some people's kind of hedge to security when inflation gets really bad is they invest in a company that they they know has pricing power that they can actually increase their prices with inflation and become more and more profitable and therefore kind of create more demand for shares in their company so people will do that and people will buy you know if inflation is going up you could also buy an asset with debt as well because so there's these, all these crazy consequences to the idea that we live in a world 
where money becomes inflated no matter what we do, it increases actually the incentive to get debt because that debt becomes inflated every single year as well. So if you had $100 of debt, that basically becomes $98 worth of debt after a year of 2% inflation compared to um, the money that you have now. And it doesn't quite work be perfectly because there's different types of inflation. There's, there's, um, and, and all of them kind of mean the, val the, the um, buying power of a dollar, but there's wage inflation. There's the inflation that the money that you get, and there's inflation with the money that you spend. So when those two things don't really sync up very well, you actually start, even though you could be making more money than your parents did, you could be living less of a uh, financially stable life as them because you actually have less buying power. It's like how you can, you could buy a house for, you know, 50 grand. Um, I don't know, in the sixties or eighties, it, it always depends on your region. But what I'm saying is that's why those price of those assets were so much lower is because there's different types of inflation that hit different parts of the market and the inflation can hit you on, um, and, and hope, and you hope that wage inflation basically will increase with, you know, um, consumer good inflation, real estate inflation, and uh, what have you. So we have this very unstable economic system, basically. And, you know, Bitcoin was created because of the 2008 financial crisis. It was a response to this. It was by whoever the developer was. Um, they saw this as being a huge problem and that they could fix this digitally or create a system digitally that makes a lot more sense for a financial system. And that's what's so interesting is I thought Bitcoin was trying to be the financial system of fiat, but no, it's actually trying to be the financial system of hedging and protection and protection from inflation and actually an environment of deflation because inevitably so so there's a fixed supply of of 21 million bitcoin um, and they will all be mined by a certain time and and by the time they're mined there will be a, a system to still pay nodes to support the bitcoin um, ecosystem and nodes are just different computers around the world and in different countries and jurisdictions which is important as well because you can see that bitcoining could become banned in certain countries but it's highly unlikely that it could be banned in 200 countries. Um, there will always be a place for it around the world, and those places decentralize the system so that it can't be basically taken down like a central bank could be, right? So that's this is Bitcoin was a response to the problems of central banking, and it's a it's actually deflationary as well because um, it's. It's a system that uh, there can be people who forget their passwords. There can be hardware that breaks or gets lost. There can be um, accounts shut down. There can be people dying without, uh, without passing on their passwords. Um, there can be ways where Bitcoin, certain amounts of it in certain wallets becomes completely inactive. And, it, and when it gets taken, when something gets taken out of circulation, that's actually, um, that means there's less of it. And so that if the demand stays the same, but all of a sudden there's less supply, 
that drives the value up as well. So so it's it's deflation it's a deflationary process whereas the value of it is going up where it is with inflation the value would be going down the not the cost of it but the value of it right um it's just like when you buy a stock and uh, uh you know the stock releases a lot more public shares um that stock price is going to go down to basically match those amount of shares that have been released and just in that way, the Bitcoin cost will go up to match the decrease of supply. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of things about that. Uh, there's a there's a lot of really interesting uh, information in there, basically, <laughs> and it's a, it's quite it's quite a lot to take in. Um, it happens gradually throughout the nine hours of this podcast though and it keeps you fascinated enough through just kind of the exploration of ideas and the way things have been working and the way things could be working and um, you know one of his beliefs that he reiterates Michael Saylor I'm talking about here is that you know that there's this sort of uh, progression of people's belief on what Bitcoin is. Oh, Bitcoin is nothing. It's just for a couple internet people to fool around with. Um, oh, Bitcoin is this, uh, you know, scam thing. Okay, Bitcoin is actually just um, a gambling token. It's just for gamblers. Oh, Bitcoin is actually just for people doing illegal activities. Oh, maybe Bitcoin actually does have some use and some value. And maybe there's a reason that it's $30,000 for one single Bitcoin. Oh, maybe there is some security, some, some, and it's answering some very, very important questions in our economy and basically solving the problem of the two most important things of the economy, I would argue, which is trust and ownership. And it's providing ownership through the ledger. You know, this is when people become a little more understanding of what this actually is, what this technology is. It, be, it provides trust by having a ledger that multiple different computers all agree is accurate. So that's creating trust and ownership with that, with that, uh, that system right there, with that protocol. And, uh, and then from there, people will think, oh, okay, this is something of value. And then his final thought basically is that people will adopt it as their treasury reserve asset. So what that means is as a company, you can actually borrow against your assets and your assets provide you with a sense of security in your business because you can dip into your assets. You can use your assets to acquire things for your business to become more profitable. Basically, your your, your treasury reserve as a company is the stored energy that you can put to work, that you, you can make things happen by using that capital. And so um, you can either use that capital directly or if you're in a, in a very large position, you can borrow against it. It's how, um, it's how basically a lot of really, really rich people don't pay taxes as well as there's tax incentives to borrow against assets. There's a lot of trickery that companies do to basically extract more value out of um, the everyday person like you and I. Uh, but as an individual, you can 
your treasury reserve assets is your savings account. It is your, your, your tax sheltered investing account. It is, um, it's the, the asset that you use to create in your world. And so it can happen at an individual level that people start, you know, holding this as their treasury reserve asset, as the hedge towards inf against inflation and as an investment basically for the very, very long term. And he, he has this idea that you're adding value by holding, right? And so his perception is that it's best to hold it your entire life. It would be great to not have to move it even once um, and to actually pass it on and they won't hold it. They won't, they won't move it either. Um, now I'm not quite sure I understand why that is. Um, he, the only thing that he said about that was that when people trade in and out, they are providing value on when they, when they own it and they are letting that value back out when they sell it. Um, so I think that for him, that just wasn't interesting to him. I, he did say something about how it's very difficult to do that, how your head will start spinning, um, just trying to do those kind of those quick trades that people do, or just, I guess, any trade in his eye. Um, there is transaction fees. So that's the other thing, right? Is, um, he, he kind of talked on the point of, you know, there's a lot of complaints that people have about Bitcoin, about it being slow so that it'll, it'll take a while depending on, because of the block size, you can only transfer a certain amount of information over this block, I, I guess. I don't fully understand that part on a technical side, but um, people do want to create a bigger block for Bitcoin. So that's kind of a, 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 an idea that's going around for that for Bitcoin specifically. Uh, there's a lot of pushback against that as well. And uh, the other thing is too, is that it takes a long time, that it's very energy intensive because there's all these different nodes, all these different computer networks validating the Bitcoin block and or transaction as in an individual case. And um, those people have to be paid basically. So they have to, they have to have an incentive to do that mining, to do that encryption, to do that checking. And um, so it's energy intensive for the environment's sake. It's energy. So what does energy intensive mean, right? It's also energy intensive, which means that money needs to transfer. So there's the fee, right? That fee, that gas fee that, that uh, crypto people talk about, that is the energy cost in Bitcoin needed to move to the people doing the work. That's proof of work. Um, so he talks about sort of the benefits of proof of work towards to uh, compared to proof of stake. And basically he's not pro any change in Bitcoin, but he's not against it either. And he, I mean, I, I would actually say that he is against it um, in, in a way where he wants it to be, he wants change to happen in a certain way. He's not against change, but he wants change to happen in a very safe way because there's this crazy thing that can happen and it happens with uh, rugs being pulled. It's, it happens with people falling for scams, making bad choices. And it happens in cryptocurrency because there is, it's an unregulated market. And so um, what happens is people's wealth being taken away from them. Um, and it can be generational wealth. You know, people have lost so much money just 
having their money on a central exchange that it ends up not being legit. So that's sort of the other thing that a bank is supposed to provide us with um, is that, you know, and, and Bitcoin is kind of competing against like gold and it's competing against banking. It's basically competing against any other asset, any other way that you would hold your money. And wherever you hold your money, you need it to actually be really secure. So that's what's very interesting about crypto is it's got all these decentralized kind of ways of uh, throughout its protocol. But then all of this centralization happens on different exchanges. And even it, it will happen if you put it on a central device, you know, a ledger or something like that. And there's just um, a lot of kind of uh, interesting aspects of that. But, you know, just as just as a gold vault isn't safe, that's a centralized location that that gold is located. There was just a giant gold heist in Canada at one of the airports. And, you know, airports hold uh, things for people as well. So there, there would be some sort of vaults or I'm not sure about this story exactly. But um, basically what I'm saying is a very important thing about an asset is that it is secure, that it is safe. So I think that he doesn't really want changes to happen that make it unsafe, make the system unsafe. So you can kind of see this to some degree with the the new use of Bitcoin to create NFTs. So NFTs were popularized on on different cryptocurrency networks. They were never on Bitcoin. They're called Bitcoin ordinals now. And um that was because of a change that happened to Bitcoin that allowed a programmer to basically figure out that they could attach a NFT to a transaction of Bitcoin. And so that created a huge demand for people minting these NFTs on Bitcoin. And because of Bitcoin's network, it the then the block size and the fees it, be, it started to become very expensive to do that and it started to become very slow to do that so there was this huge queue and so there's things you can do to change that but do those things need to happen for something that is supposed to be a store of value it's not re remember we got to remember that it's it's an asset that's not trying to compete with dollars that are freely exchanged extremely liquid and um maybe what, what kind of got into my mind was that there's going to be a cryptocurrency that is a lot more centralized and, and and there already are but there's going to be one that becomes and, and basically replaces what we currently use in our dollars um, because of the security of the ledger so that needs to be checked and and the public ledger as well is a very interesting thing i don't know if that will happen i mean what i'm kind of getting at here is that uh, there's uh, central banks right now the most kind of used currencies are from central banks so it makes sense that they're going to create a huge amount of uh, people using their digital currency which can be uh, which can use aspects and technologies that were invented basically by or not invented you know cryptography and, and ledgers and peer-to-peer um, -peer networks were not invented by Bitcoin. These are all different inventions and ideas put together and created into a, a digital asset of value and turning that into a monetary thing is unique to Bitcoin as the first. So what I'm saying is that there is going to be and there has been cryptocurrencies that are more like money and that are better than money in the ways that they can be 
and um, basically the only thing that they need is the trust that money has and as much as people talk about oh I don't trust the US dollar I don't trust this dollar that dollar um, that's all kind of fugazi it's all fiat you know fiat means it's backed by nothing it's backed by nothing you are still transacting with transactioning with your country's dollars more than any other currency and definitely more than any cryptocurrency if you're transaction with cryptocurrency a lot of it's just happening as as that sort of gambling idea or that trading and investing and trying to extract basically money from that and once again you're probably going to bring that into fiat you're probably going to go spend that on whatever you need um, in the real world so there that's very interesting but we use our banks today if our if our banks just switched over to a digital currency that had a ledger that was uh, you know, confirmed by a, a small network um, that had the security protocols of certain cryptocurrencies, we wouldn't know the difference. We wouldn't know the difference and we would be using a cryptocurrency and as opposed to basically a printed and minted as in just hitting enter and creating um digits on a screen we would know no different but it would have that underlying security we would still be placing our trust in a centralized organization just as we do today by having our money in our bank accounts we are trusting that bank we are trusting that government and we are trusting everyone else and uh, we are trusting the companies that we buy from the people we interact and, and trade with using this paper value um, we'd be trusting as much as we already do trust now, I think that, uh, yeah, my, my biggest, biggest takeaway from this for sure was that Bitcoin is not here to compete with dollar or with, with fiat, really. It's, it's here to be an asset class that is deflationary. And it has that proof of work where, where electricity has actually been exchanged for this. And this actually has some value um, because of the proof of work. And that's the that's the question right there right is what kind of intrinsic value does this have um the the idea that it's deflationary is that value without anything else like there still needs to be the trust system of other people believing that it's valuable and exchanging it doesn't even necessarily have to be that's what's so interesting about this is that it doesn't actually have to be products it doesn't i don't need to be able to buy groceries with bitcoin i just need to be able to buy money other currency with bitcoin and that's what's very interesting if somebody else is willing to upload or you know send money to fund their their exchange account and to buy that cryptocurrency and you're the one who just sold it um then it's worth something it's worth that money and that money is then worth something so there's this there's this kind of like weird stepping stone that keeps happening with transactions and you know that's the other thing that's very interesting is money is this stored value of energy and it doesn't dissipate when you, you when you use it it actually just gets held by someone else who then can use it and create energy and then that other person can use it and uh yeah it's a, it's an extremely fascinating thing money and that's why I think this guy has this whole podcast about what is money. So one thing that I thought was interesting was kind of an offhand remark that 
uh, Robert Breedlove made about how if you wanted to be safe with your money, you would buy 80% Bitcoin, 20% other cryptocurrencies. And if you wanted to be really safe with your money, you would buy 100% Bitcoin. Do you agree? That's like word for word what he said at one point. And, um, and uh, Michael Saylor basically said uh, he agreed, right? And, and what I think about that, I, I, I think that's a terrible idea, actually. I, I, I mean, there's a, there's a future where that is a great idea, but right now it is not a good idea. And you cannot know what is a good idea in the future. You, you have to make a bet wherever you place your money. And I think as a bet, that would be a very, very risky bet. I mean, that's the, the main principle investing is diversification. And the reason you diversify is not because that makes you more money, but because that makes you lose less money and in the long term make more money. And what I mean by that is within diversification, if it's a broad, you know, like we can look at a, just a, an index fund, you know, the S&P 500 here in Canada, ZSP in, in the US, I think it's uh, uh, VOO, you know, the Vanguard 500 fund. They hold 500 different companies in there. And are f 500 of those companies going to go up every single day? No. Are they, are they going to go down every single day? No. Some of them are going to go up and some of them are going to go down. And in the long term, more of those ones are going to go up and more of those ones that go up are going to go up even more. And the ones that go down are going to be offset by the ones going up. So is it the safest to put 100% of your treasury reserve assets into Bitcoin? No, because it's not diversified enough. You know, we need to offset our risk. And the way to do that is to get different assets in different classes and to understand basically when to buy them, when to sell them and when to hold them and when to fold them, as Kenny Rogers would say. So that's the thing, right? Is there's, there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalism that, that is, gets talked about in this podcast. And I think a lot of people will, would listen to nine hours of this and be like, I'm putting my whole life savings into Bitcoin. Now let's let it be known. This was made a couple of years ago. And since then, Bitcoin's story has been very, um, mixed. It has been, it's been very interesting. I should say there's, there's a time, there's a place and there's an individual situation that needs to be basically looked at before deciding to do anything with your, your, your energy, right? I, that's why I think people should really value the energy, the dollars that they have. It's very, very important. And I actually think it wildly irresponsible to advise anybody that some investing strategy is better than another because it's always going to be based on the person. It's always going to be based on how long, much longer, like you have to make all of these predictions basically to do investing well. You have to predict where the world will be and what stocks will be important in that world and what your investing horizon is. Do you want to pass this investment on to your child or do you want to hold it for a certain amount of time and then use cash to do something else later down the road? You know, what is your investing horizon? Is it one year, 
five years, 10 years, 100 years, right? That's the first thing that you need to figure out as an investor. And I think that, I mean, I know it was an offhand comment, but it's something that I remember that stuck with me to to suggest that that is the safest thing that you could do is, is irresponsible, I think. And is that what they meant 100%? I don't know. I think that they're just really, really, really bullish on Bitcoin. <laughs> and they and they are both probably heavily invested. So it's to their interest to be as well. Um, in my eyes, as, as it's always, you know, and I'm watching another thing that's very interesting is I'm watching this show, How to Be Rich on Netflix, just as, just as an idea of what a reality show would be about a, a you know, financial advisor. I think that's an interesting thing to look at. And what I find interesting about that show is that he offers very specific advice throughout it. And this specific advice is terrible advice for certain people and good advice for other people and great advice for some people even. And uh, I think it's just um, important to know your own situation before you before you decide anything you know the world is not the same for every person and it's important to know what your world is so in my eyes um and what this podcast did to me is it made me realize that and it also made me realize that i was actually underinvested in bitcoin specifically that i didn't understand this. It made me understand the ecosystem of cryptocurrencies of Bitcoin more. It gave me a lot of information into a into what will be a very very important um, part of our economy, and it might go under the radar. I mean, that's what's so wild about it is it's it's had its moment in the sun, and. Now it might become unpopular with tech people. Uh, AI is the is the new baby. You know, it's like it's like when you have your you know your you have your family for the first time. You have your child. You take a ton of pictures of that first child, but as soon as that second child comes, that camera's going over there and pointing at that second child. And maybe that says more about me being <laughs> a family of three kids and siblings. But um, it 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 it. Uh, it uh, creates a picture of basically um, energy as well, you know, energy from that attention to that first child to that second child. So now it's the attention from Bitcoin, which is energy. People's work is actually shifting over to this other work because there's, um, you know, technical people, uh, there's, there's, uh, intelligent, there's only a certain amount of intelligence in the pool. And some people that would have decided to invest their intelligence into um, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin specifically, even might invest that talent and energy and brain power to artificial intelligence. Um, there is, uh, th that's the thing also that we have to remember is that there is a huge pool of brain activity and brain power and, and certain people gravitate to their interest. And, and I hope that people are working and spending their brain power in their interest. And I know that that is the case. Um, it's not the case for everybody, but I think that everybody should be doing, or should at least try to be doing the, the thing that they are best at and that they enjoy the most. I mean, that is the goal of people, I believe. Um, for a lot of people and a lot of people are stuck 
working and spending their energy uh they either voluntarily stuck or unconsciously stuck or um you know against their will stuck in 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 positions where they are spending their energy uh in ways that um doesn't doesn't isn't using their energy to its fullest so what i'm saying there is that bitcoin still has a huge amount of brain power going towards it cryptocurrency in general blockchain technology and i think that it will just go a little bit more under the radar which will keep its uh price um kind of just jumping up and down but not really crazy um and then you know all of a sudden it'll just be normal uh how much it's worth and it'll be highly valued i mean right now it's already highly valued it's insane i mean if people talked about it was a huge news story when bitcoin went below uh you know four thousand you know it had this this peak and then it started to go down but that correction is if you go out on a far enough timeline it is not huge and as the days go by it just gets smaller and smaller and you know people were making a huge deal about it going under four thousand bitcoin is at basically twenty eight thousand they make a huge deal when it goes above thirty thousand they make a huge deal when it goes below again and um and and i really think that the the news will just basically stick to this but it won't be the attention that we currently have on ai for a while and i think you know it's it should be crazy news every single day that bitcoin is worth what it's worth one single bitcoin and that there's going to be 21 million of them in circulation and that it's worth this much um that's crazy to me that's insane to me that is saying something so wild it's saying that there is a lot of stored energy in this there's a lot of value to this and you know people can believe that it's a bubble but i believe that it is very possible that this does become a treasury reserve asset for more and more people i think that um it's an interesting space i think it's it's incredibly interesting space equally as interesting as ai there's lots of other things and i i just highly recommend actually going and listening to this and coming to your own conclusions um this podcast series um i would maybe as soon as like the michael saylor parts over midway through when he does the recap i don't know if that's 100 percent necessary so you can reduce some of the hours you're spending listening to this um it's a recap i mean he does have some insights uh into it and expounds on what's been said so sometimes you can miss things sometimes things don't get fully fleshed out in the interview and he does uh yeah expand on that but there's a lot of it too where you're ready to kind of move on to the next part of the interview so you can you can do what you will with that information and i would check out that podcast it is going to be linked below and um there's lots like i said that i've missed and that i don't think that i can fully get into on here anyway because i'm not the expert and i don't have as good a memory as michael saylor that guy just pulls information out of nowhere that is he's like read about the romans and stuff and it's just like bro that's crazy anyway um <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned. And remember, if you want to support the show, check out our sponsors in the link below. Thank you, everybody. 
on this show, you know, I've talked a lot about money. Um, investing is an interest of mine. Money is really important as a store of energy of, uh, of ourselves. And basically we can use it to create in this world. We can make all these different things happen just because of the money that we either use. And the more you accumulate of it, the more you can create. And it's just, uh, it's a fascinating subject and it's a lot easier sometimes to actually save money than it is to make money. So today's sponsor is Mint Mobile. And if you're in the States and you have a cell phone, you can probably save a lot of money by switching to Mint. I mean, Mint has these plans. It's like 15 bucks a month, unlimited calling, unlimited texting, five gigabytes of data. They have 4G, 5G plans. And for 30 bucks, you can get unlimited data included with that plan. And so it's like 30 bucks unlimited data. And the internet is so powerful. We need to get on there. We need to learn. I mean, you're probably, you're using the internet right now to listen to this, to download this. Um, it's important to have, and you might be able to save a ton of money by switching to mint. So check out the link in the description for mint mobile. And we get a kickback here. We get a small commission. So it really, really supports the show. It's super, super important to, um, feel like I can actually do this and make a little bit of cash, um, th this podcast. So it's going a long way and it's really important for you to save money as well. So if you are spending too much on your mobile, go at least check it out. See if the coverage is good for you, if the service is good for you. And basically it's a smart business as well. What they've done with mint mobile is they've, um, they've basically done what more and more companies are doing to save money and to pass it on to consumers, which is not have a retail store. There's a lot of empty shopping malls out there in the world now, because there's no need for companies like mint mobile to have a cell phone kiosk in the mall or whatever storefront. And so they can pass those savings from not having to, um, you know, rent and lease that space, not having to employ those people working there. They can employ people in a more concentrated fashion so they can have less employees and serve more people basically and they do it all online all through the internet and the customer service is supposedly pretty good still um, that's the other thing too is you don't want to like lose things by switching to mint mobile so i would i would just recommend checking them out see if it's a fit for you um, basically when i ever have a problem on my cell phone i'm calling them anyway i'm not going into a store uh, that's just you know you're just looking to get upcharged basically by going into a store anyway so, um, check it out links in this description. Like I said, 